Welcome to First Baptist Wiley. We're excited to bring you these weekly messages. Find out more about us or give online at fbw.church. Hey, faith family and friends, this is Pastor Chris, and I'm excited to share with you our second installment in our message series entitled Unstuck. And before I do that, I, I just want to acknowledge this. I'm grateful every week to get to speak to those, obviously, here in our local context but it's also awesome to get to speak to those of you outside of the DFW Metroplex in the state of Texas and across the world. And truly, every week, we have people from all of those places that gather with us from afar. And I just want you to know that uh, if you're a part of this, then you're a part of us. And uh, we just pray that if there be any way we can minister to you in the future, that uh, you would reach out to us because we want to do that. We want to be your faith family from afar. Um, You know, last week we began this series, and I I talked about the reality that God uh, has this journey for us, and we find ourselves here, and He wants to take us there. Like there's some place in the future that God wants you to be. But the problem is this. Sometimes we get stuck along the way. Like those of you who are watching this, you do understand And many of you maybe even know the place that God would have you be, that place he wants you to serve or that kind of person he would want you to be. And yet we find ourselves stuck. You know, last week we talked about how people get stuck in this thing called unforgiveness. And this week I want us to talk about something that I promise you it applies to you. And it is the topic of worry. Many of us get stuck in this thing called worry. You know, worry by definition is this. Worry is obsessing on negative things that might happen resulting in physical and mental anguish. Um, worry is, is really is, is this. There's a great German word. It's the word vergen, and it means to strangle or to choke. Uh, worry will choke the life out of you. Here's the thing about worry. Um, worry is like a gateway drug. You know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And back in the 80s and 90s, there was a lady by the name of Nancy Reagan. And she had this whole campaign about drugs that said, just say no. And if you're an exer like me, you definitely, you definitely heard about that. And the idea was this, that um, there were certain drugs that were gateway drugs. So like when I was growing up, I'm so old, I remember that at our, my high school, we had a smoking section. Like, if you were 18, you could go out from the cafeteria, and it was usually seniors and actually teachers that would go out and smoke. Now, you can't even imagine that happening today, right? Uh, but back in that era, I mean, you, would, you could smoke on your high school campus. And the idea was this. You know, they were, they were telling us, hey, say no, say no to cigarettes. Why? Because cigarettes would lead to, you know, other drugs like marijuana. And I mean, man, if you got, and man, that's a whole nother deal today, right? I mean, to think where we've come from in my lifetime just on that one subject. But, you know, cigarettes were a gateway drug. They led to marijuana, and that led to all these other things that were even more worse than that. And I would simply say this worry is like a gateway drug. Like, if you can stop worry, you can stop some other things because you got to understand worry leads to anxiety. So, worry is this obsession on negative things, but. It, it, it doesn't necessarily happen for a prolonged period of time. Anxiety, anxiety is this prolonged uh, sense of, of doom, if you will, that, that stays with us. And it's not even always necessarily even about a specific thing. Uh, it can just be a generalized fear of, of feeling of doom. But then anxiety leads to depression. And we understand that today we live in a culture that's very depressed. And um, then if depression leads to despair. 
where we start really feeling like things are hopeless. And then from despair, people sometimes do unthinkable things, and truly it leads to their destruction. And so here's what I'll say. I understand there's, there's very valid and real people who struggle with anxiety and depression, and frankly, I'm not even really going to talk a lot about that. I feel like if you're struggling with those things um, and you've been in that p place for a long time, you need to go seek professional help, okay? You should do that. It's legitimate. Uh, but I want to stop some of us today from even maybe getting to that place by dealing with this thing called worry. Jesus spoke to a group of people in a, in a place called the Sermon on the Mount, and he spoke in Matthew chapter 6, and he gave his quintessential talk, if you will, Wisconsin University study said this, that about 40% of the things that we worry about truly never, ever happen. About 30% of the things that we worry about are things that happened in the past and can't even be changed. About 22% of the things we worry about are trivial. You know, how's my hair today? Will people like my outfit? You know, did I get a zit on picture day? Things that are trivial in nature. About 8% of the things that we worry or have concern about are, are absolutely legitimate or true. You know, I've got one message point I'm going to drive home with you today, and it's simply this, that worry chokes the life out of you. In fact, say it with me. Worry chokes the life out of you. It's that German word. It means to strangle. It means that your, your mind is constantly engaged in this turmoil, and because of that, you forfeit the life that God wants to give you. Worry chokes the life out of you. I got three takeaways. Here's the very first one. Worry will choke the life out of you. So know that God has got this. You got to realize Jesus is speaking to a group of people that probably us in the 21st century really can't fully understand. Because, you know, as I'm talking to you, I don't know that too many of you are worried about food. Uh, perhaps some of you are. But, you know, looking at the waistlines of most Americans, food is not our issue, right? Clothes. I mean, come on. A lot of us give clothes away every year so we make room for more clothes. Uh, we certainly don't consider water or drink something that we worry too much about because, hey, we live in a culture where you can go in any public building you want to and hit a water fountain, right? So these weren't the concerns of our day, but back in this day, I mean, these were real concerns. Jesus is talking on a hillside to people, and as he's gathering on that hillside, here they are all out there, and these are just hard-working people who food and water and these kind of basic necessities were scarcities in their life. And Jesus says this, he says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about the body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And then he goes into these examples about the birds and about how they, they do not sow or reap and yet your heavenly father feeds them. And he goes in here to about flowers and you got to realize uh, these flowers, it says they were thrown in the fire. Flowers were dried out, and then they were used as kindling to start wood that would then ignite the stoves of people back in this particular time. But when you see the word therefore in a scripture, you always have to ask the question, what's it there for? And if you want to know what's it there for, uh, a therefore indicates this. Everything I'm about to say is predicated on what I just said. And so he says in verse 24, the same chapter, it says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Some, some translations, I'm using the NIV this week. I'm using that on purpose because it uses the word worry uh, specifically in this translation. 
And, uh, but the word money there can also be translated mammon, which means stuff. So basically Jesus is saying this, hey, don't worry about your life, what you eat or drink, because either you're going to put your trust in God or you're going to put your, your trust in money and stuff. And he goes, which one of those are you going to trust? You realize that Jesus is using a, a pretty common worry, and I would argue that is the worry that we have today as well. Seventy uh, percent of people worry about money. Worry about if we're going to have enough. Worry about if we're going to be able to keep enough. Worry about if we're, we're going to be able to finish life, and, and, and is our money going to run out before our life runs out? But he says three times in this text, he says, do not worry. And it's an imperative command. And, and what that really translates is saying this. He's saying, stop doing what you're already doing. <laughs> you know, we, I know you're worrying about this. Stop doing what you're already doing. And he says it three times in these verses. And, you know, when you think about that, yeah, it's a command. But here's the, the best part. It's also an invitation. It's an invitation. You know, it's an invitation for some of you who are listening to this and you find yourself in your in mind strangulation because of this thing called worry. And he says this over and over again. He says about your life, he says, your life not more than food and clothes and the, the body and, and, and all this kind of stuff. Your life is more than stuff. Your life is more than money. When you lay on your deathbed one day, you're going to reflect on your life, and you're, it's going to be the substance of the things that really matter. And there's three things I want you to see how God has got this. Because worry is truly a matter of perspective, isn't it? Um, notice first, God is your creator. He's your creator. He references the birds and how they don't worry. In fact, if you ever look at birds when they're out in nature, you know what? Birds never worry, but they always sing. Have you noticed that? They always sing. No matter what's going on, they always sing. And yet they are industrious. They do scratch. They do have to go find what God has provided, but they don't worry. They sing. And, and he says right here, are you not more valuable than they are? Do you realize that God made you in his image? I mean, when he made man, he made man his own image. He, he didn't make the birds. He didn't make the elephants. He didn't make the lions and the tigers and the bears. Oh my, he didn't make all those. He made he made you in his image. You're a chip off the old block. In fact, you just say, well, you're a chip off the old block. And do you realize that when God, the creator, made you, he made you with plans in mind. Like he didn't just make you so that you could be born and then you could just worry for about 70 or 80 years and then boom, be promoted to heaven. No, he made you with great detail so that you could live out his plan. In fact, notice what it says in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship. Did you see that? Like you're, you're handmade, you're tailor-made. God made you exactly the way he did. He made you as tall as he did, as short as you did, as wide as you did, all those different things. He made you the way he made you. God, you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance to do. You know, I know I'm getting old uh, because really what I watch on TV now either involves documentaries or shows about how to survive in Alaska, all right? And so I feel like I could probably live in Alaska for at least 48 hours before I died. But there's this one documentary that I, that I got fascinated. It's on Netflix, and it's about this art heist that occurred uh, back in 1990. And it was at this place called the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. 
And there was this, this very famous break-in. In fact, these, these art pieces have not been found in now 30 years. But there's this one particular uh, picture, this painting, that was made by Rembrandt, uh, and it's called The Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful painting. Or at least it was a beautiful painting. No one's ever, no one's seen the original since it was stolen there. And here's the thing about that painting: that painting, you think about this, if it can be found today, it's worth a hundred million dollars. Man, I, I mean, I, I don't know what I'd pay for that, right? Uh, I'm, I, I know I couldn't pay a hundred million dollars. And yet, I want you to think about something. Do you realize that you're worth more than that painting? You know, Rembrandt spent hours putting the strokes and the facial expressions. In fact, one of the things that's unique about that piece of art is he actually, he actually painted himself into the painting. And, and you see the examples of, the, of the, the disciples' face, how in this picture they are afraid of the storm. And all that intricate little handiwork that was done, every little stroke, every little color, every little shade, and God put more thought into you. Don't, why do you worry when you realize something? God created you, man. Like, God made you. Of all the people in the world, he made you, and you are a masterpiece. So why would he want you to have a life so burdened down by worry? The second thing you got to know is this, is God is your master. He's your master. Now, I'm just going to tell you, he's, he's speaking to this group of people who, once again, every day were concerned whether they have food, they have water, they have clothes, they have the basic necessities of life. And here's, here's what's fascinating um, to me. We live in a day and time whenever we can't understand slavery, and rightfully so. But when this was written, there were 120 million slaves in the Roman world. What you got to understand about that is this, is that many times people would sell themselves into slavery to pay off debts that they had for a period of years, and they'd be released. But here's the thing. When a master took on a slave and a slave's family, that master now was obligated to meet all of that slave's needs. Did you realize that? He, they, were, they were forced, they were made to give provision to that slave and to his or her family. And I love what it says in Romans 6.22 when it says this. And don't be offended by this. It says, but now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. You realize that remember, Christ purchased us. In fact, the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. It says, do you not know that you are, your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Whenever Christ died on the cross for you and he died for me, what you need to understand is he paid for us. And what you need to further understand is this. It was an exchange. It was a life for a life. Jesus gave us his life. Now we give him back his lives. And now we find ourselves as servants and slaves to a most high king. And here's the great thing about it. We have such benevolent master. Don't you realize that? If slaves in that particular day, if it was understood that they're going to take care of the basic needs of their people, don't you realize God is going to so much more take care of you? That's why you don't need to worry about because it's not your life anymore. You know, a master dictates where you go and what you do. And so don't you realize that some of you, you're waiting on, you're worried sick. Will I ever get married? Or will we ever get pregnant? Or, or, or should we even bring kids into this world? Or, or man, I got to get that next job because my five-year plan says I got to be here. And if I'm not there, it's not your life. 
It's not your life. In fact, here, here's the reality. Quit trying to repossess that which is not yours. You know, when I was in Birmingham, Alabama for a number of years, I'll never forget, I watched my neighbor's car get repossessed. One night, it was amazing, this, this wrecker kept kind of, I lived on a circle, they kept driving around this circle, and, and, it, and it was like about 1.30 in the morning, I was up writing a research paper for seminary, and I'll never forget, I'm, I'm, it's just odd, I'm seeing this wrecker, and all of a sudden, that wrecker pulls up behind that car and rams that big, uh, big towing apparatus underneath those tires and pulls that thing off, and the crazy part was my neighbor just looked out his window kind of like that, just like, yep, yep, didn't pay. You know, here's the reality. God bought you. And the reason some of us worry today is because there's things that you want for you that he does not want for you. And here's the thing about it. Because he bought and paid for you, he has claim over every domain of your life. You see, don't worry. God's your, your master. But even here's even better. God is also your father. Because I love this in that text. It, it, it says, and it, and it points out, it says, look at the birds of the air. They not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Of all the ways God could relate to us, and there's many, he could have come as just a boss. He could have come as just like some sort of military leader. But he relates to us as a father. And here's the problem with that. Some of you didn't have good fathers. So in fact, for some of you, your father was the greatest source of your worry. <laughs> and um, it, it's hard when the, the, when the filter, when the lens of fatherhood has been broken to change that. But don't you realize something that because he's your father, he didn't even spare his own son to purchase you. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Don't you understand that God is a father who wants to bless you? And if you've never experienced that, you need to experience that. Because you see, God, good fathers give gladly. You know, uh, my son, he's a second-year student at Oklahoma State University. And I'll never forget when we moved him into his dorm. We moved him into his dorm. We, uh, if you've ever moved your kid into a college, uh, let me just tell you, you got to pay the tuition, you got to pay all the other stuff. You also have to pay for a large Walmart bill when you drop them off, okay? Because when you move them into a dorm room, I mean, you got to buy the rug and you got to buy this. I mean, there's a million different things. I'll never forget. We had like three carts at Walmart that day. And, you know, my son, he kind of gets to that stage where he sort of understands what stuff costs now. And I'll never forget, um, we're in there, and we, 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 all three carts go through, you know, and the bill comes out, and it's like $650. And I mean, my boy looks at me, and he's just like, uh, and he starts apologizing. Dad, Dad I'm so sorry. Dad, Dad, Dad I, I, I'm so sorry. And it was a beautiful moment to be able to look at him as his dad and say this, Rook, it's my greatest joy to provide for your deepest need. And don't you understand something? That's why God feels about you. It is his greatest joy to provide your deepest need. You see, worry chokes the life out of you. In fact, do it. Worry chokes the life out of you. And, and notice the second thing. Worry chokes the life out of you, so keep first things first. Jesus speaks directly to this. Verse 33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, uh, write this down. Emotion reveals devotion. Emotion reveals devotion. So simply put, what is it that you're worried about? What is it that plagues your mind? 
Uh, it's that, well, you know, I won't have enough. Or, man, I hope my kid's going to be able to, uh, you know, get through their grades. Or, you know, I, I, I hope that my retirement's not going to run out on me. Or I hope that my health will, will do better for, than, you know, than it was a month ago, that the doctor's diagnosis isn't quite as bad as they said. You see, emotion, we all are emotional. And some of you would say, well, I'm not emotional. I mean, I don't get emotional about anything. Absolutely you do. Absolutely you do. Now, you may get emotional about the wrong thing, but you get, um, there's something in you that it incites an emotion. And whatever that is, it could be your hobby, right? It could be, I mean, it's the thing that occupies your mind. It's the thing that causes you mental strangulation, it's what you worry about, and it reveals your devotion. You know, I, I, when I was growing up, my little kid sister, Jenna, who you know, I love, and I used to play this really mean trick on her. And I'm an older brother, uh, eight years older, and yeah, I'm mean. Uh, when she was a little kid, there was this commercial, okay, about Jamaica. I'll never forget this. And it would say, come back to Jamaica, what's old is what? It was this little jingle to get people to go down to Jamaica, okay? Well, anytime that came on, she would cry. Right. I mean, she's like a little kid. Like she's wearing like diapers. I'm like, you know, I'm like 11. She's like three or two, whatever. She's still wearing diapers. And she would just in the middle of where she would just start crying when she would hear this song, this deal. And she you know what I did. This is how mean I was back then. We had VCRs and I actually recorded the commercial so I could just play it on demand to make her cry. All right. I mean, that was mean. Right. But here's what I know. Like we all have these emotions and they point us to our devotion. Uh, don't you understand that God is looking for somebody who is fired up about his agenda? It says right there, but seek first his kingdom. Hey, if you find yourself worried, what you need to do is participate in the kingdom. If you will participate in his kingdom, let me tell you something, it's, it's going to change perspective for you. Because all those things that are mentioned that he, uh, he, he mentions there about food, water, and clothes, they're all temporal. But when you start aligning, because you have eternity put in you, when you start aligning with that which is eternal, let me tell you something, it changes, uh, it changes you. It occupies your mind with something much greater and higher and better. And it says this, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. That means this right standing with God. God is looking for somebody who wants to be in right standing with him. Who, who, by the way, we're never going to be perfect. Aren't we grateful for the provision of righteousness that Christ gives us? But we're actively trying to be in right standing with him. And I saw this. Uh, it's called How to Be Miserable. It's a recipe for misery. And it's this. Think about yourself. Talk about yourself. Use I as often as possible. Marry yourself continually in the uh, opinion of others. Listen greedily to what people say about you. Expect to be appreciated. Be suspicious. Be jealous and envious. Be sensitive to slights. Be Never forgive a criticism. Trust no one but yourself. Insist on consideration and respect. Demand agreement with your own views on everything. Sulk if people are not grateful to you for favors you show them. Never forget a service you've rendered. Be on the lookout for a good time for yourself. Shirk your duties if you can. Do as little possible for others. Love yourself supremely. And finally, be selfish. If you want to be worried and miserable, live like that. But if you don't, want to do that. You embrace because your emotion reveals your devotion. Like there ought to be some kingdom causes that wet your eyes and fill your heart. And in 1 Chronicles 16, 9, it says this, for the eyes of the Lord range through the earth 
to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking for his man, his woman, his student, somebody who puts first things first, puts his kingdom first, and is passionate about it. You see, this, the second thing, and this may be the absolute greatest principle I can impart to you today, is this. When you keep first things first, you've got to remember this, that priority determines capacity. Priority determines capacity. You know what I've noticed? I've noticed that there's somebody who's really busy, and you ask them to do something, that person usually finds a way to fit it in, right? But people who always have time on their hands always have time on their hands. And, and, and yet, how is it that you and I, because if you think about it like this, this is, this is all of these. You know, Jesus said, you know, uh, your father will provide you with all of these. So, I mean, these are all of the concerns you have. This is your, your dating or your marital status. This is your kids. Man, this is your financial future, your educational future. You want to get into that school. You got to get an A on that test. I mean, you do realize, students, that like God cares even down to the fact about what you make on your grades, right? Like, he really does care about that. Like, he wants you to do well. And likewise, uh, you may want to excel at something that he doesn't really want you to excel at, and that's going to show you your future as well. But we have all of these cares, all of these things that wrap us up, all these things that we're concerned about. And then we have these things where we're like, but yeah, you know, but I also think that, you know, obviously church, you know, that's important. And, you know, I want to have a relationship with uh, with other Christians. And, you know, maybe I want to be a part of it. I want to be on a mission trip or I want to. Uh, and, and here's what happens. The, the God parts of our lives, because we don't seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Then here's what happens. We, we worry about all this other stuff first, and then it limits our capacity. We, we can't figure out how to fit it all in. But here's what's amazing. If we'll do exactly what the Bible says, and if we will actually start with first things first, if we will actually say, you know what? I, I am. I'm going to prioritize God first, the relationship I have with him. I'm going to prioritize his kingdom. You know what? I'm going to be a part of the local church and, and the body of Christ. And you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to be a faithful witness. And man, I'm going to steward you know, the resources God's given me the way he would have me do it. And you know, I, I'm, I, I'm going to accept the special assignment because all of us have a special assignment. Something God has uniquely equipped you to do. Man, I'm going to prioritize those things. I'm going to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then look what he promises he's going to do. And then all these things, all these things, we think, I don't have room. There's no way. All these things shall be added, and check this out. It all fits. Isn't that amazing? Because your priority determines your capacity. And the reason why some of you are so stressed, so worried, is because it's, it's wrong priorities. We're going, I'll never feel to figure out how to put that together. I'll never be able to fit it all in. It can absolutely all be fit in whenever we put the right priority and then we get the right capacity. You see, God built you, custom made you to fit just like this. You see, worry chokes the life out of you. Say it with me. Worry chokes the life out of you. It's the strangulation of the mind. And so notice this last thing with me, and this is huge. So don't borrow from tomorrow. If I just say it, don't borrow from tomorrow. Notice what it says in verse 34. Therefore, and there again, when you say therefore, what's it there for? Everything I'm about to say is predicated on what I just said. Jesus has just said, hey, seek the kingdom. Don't worry about these things. And he says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. 
each day has enough trouble of its own. Do you understand this, that God has given you some limitless, infinite capacities? Do you realize that? Like if the Holy Spirit of God, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God resides in you. And because of that, look at this, you can love big and you can love unconditionally. He can do that through you. Man, you can forgive. We've talked about this last week. He says, forgive 70 times 7. That, what that means is that means limitless forgiveness. Like the capacity is in you to be able to do that. Man, with God's grace, you can have unlimited ability and power and enablement to do anything he's called you to do. There are some functionalities in you that are infinite because the infinite power of Christ lives in you. But check this out. You have some very finite capacities. And he says it right here. Don't worry about tomorrow. God has given you such a limited capacity to deal with concern. He says this, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles. And you know, here's the thing about it. You have a father who knows all that you need. And, he's, and, and because he knows what you need, he has only given you this very small, limited ability to worry and have an overabundance of concern. Charles Mayo, who was one of the, the brothers who founded the Mayo Clinic, uh, actually said this, worry affects circulation, the heart, and the glands, the whole nervous system, and profoundly affects the heart. I have never known a man who died from overwork, but many who have died from doubt, who died from worry. You do realize that there are physical impacts to our bodies because of this thing called worry the stress we carry, the, 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 what if we're not careful, it leads to anxiety, it leads to depression. you got to stop this gateway drug called worry. You know, what that means is this, we're all going to have worry. So we're going to have things that pop up in our lives, and it's going to, if we're not careful, we're going to obsess on this, and we're going to take it to the negative place, and we're going to speculate about if this happens and this other thing's going to happen and before it's over, the parade of terribles. And what he says is you're supposed to cast it. You're supposed to throw it away. He says, cast your cares on him. Give it back to Jesus. You know, so something else shows up in my mind. You know, my kid's going to be all right. Man, is my future going to be secure? And we just have to go back and remember, okay, I got to participate in the kingdom. Okay, I got to remember who my God is. And you just got to cast it. You got to put it back on Jesus and just say, I don't have the ability to do that today. But here's what happens sometimes. We take these, uh, these, these anxieties, and you know what we do? We carry them. We don't cast them. Now, if I walked around in life all the time with, with this ball in my hand, you know, you may see me with me in my hand at some point, and you'd be like, oh, you know, it was a one-time thing. But if you saw me week after week and day after day, you'd be like, why do you carry that? And I think there's some folks in this room that you have become your worry. Like, people now identify you as that worry and, and, and because you, you carry it. And here's the thing, you weren't built to carry it. You're borrowing for tomorrow. You got to cast it. But then some of us, check this out. We also, this, we don't, we don't just carry it. We start collecting them because now then we start taking on the worries of other people. And so before it's over, we got all these worries, right? All these concerns. And we're in church. We're real good about that too. Oh, don't worry. I'm just concerned. And there's some legitimate things you should, you should be concerned about. But then we say, okay, I'm going to praise God. Oh, praise you. And you're like, Really? You're so burdened. He says, hey, you got to cast it. You got to get rid of it. You got to let it go. And the question I have for you is, are you ready to let it go? Because truly, sometimes worry becomes our identity. You're known as the worrier. 
you know, you're that person in the family. And here's the problem with that. Some of your worries are driving the people around you crazy, okay? So if not for you, at least consider others in that. So, so how do you put all this together? Well, the first thing is this. You got to know that God's got this. He has got this. Nothing comes into your life that you're dealing with that doesn't pass through his hand. You got to keep first things first. Remember, priority determines capacity. If you can't get it all done, it's because probably there's a missed alignment of your priorities. And so therefore, life isn't going to work for you. And then that finally, don't borrow from tomorrow. You got to cast your cares upon him. But you understand all this only works whenever you know God as a father. And if you don't know him as a father, then I want you to understand something. Um, you're never going to be able to, to live worry-free. So perhaps you've, you've never trusted him as your savior. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Um, you could just bow your head. You can make my prayer your prayer. And you could just say, dear Jesus, I just want to ask that you will forgive me of my sins. And in the best way I know how, I want to invite you to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you did pray that prayer for me, here's what that means. It means this, that you have a relationship with Jesus. Therefore, you have access to the Father. And I want you to know something today. He's a good, good Father. And I want you to know this. You can cast your cares on Christ. You may be looking for a church home. We'd love for you to, to even join online. Maybe you need prayer. Uh, we would love for you to, to reach out to some of our ministerial team and do so. Um, I want to just speak a blessing over you today. And I want to challenge you, though, first and foremost, though, to get rid of some things in your life. Father, I pray that you would help us to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. You know that worry will choke the life out of us. And you have called us into abundance, not a scarce life. I pray that we would experience all that you have designed and created us to be. And that ultimately we would put our hope and our trust and our future in your hands. In Jesus' name.